grace and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church on this Freedom Sunday. We are celebrating with IJM Freedom Sunday, and you'll hear more about that later on today. Uh, especially if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here, and you'll find on each one of the pews that there is a um, welcome pad. We'd love to have you fill it out and let us know that you're here. It's a black folder. It's near the center aisle. You can pass it down so other people can do that too. After the second service today at 11.15, I'll be hosting a new members class over in Tankersley Hall. If you've been attending for a while and you think that you'd like to know more about us or you think that you might have decided that this could be your church home, come and you'll find out more about us. And if you're ready to join the church, you may do that right at the end of that class. It'll be about an hour and there's food, so you won't starve since it's that late. Uh, this Friday night, the women invite you to join them for a bunco night. It's the first time we've ever done that. You have to sign up, though, so we know how many to set up for, so the sign-up is out on the patio today. Uh, we are also signing up for a Bible study on the book of Revelation that's called Breaking the Code. It's going to start in a couple of weeks on Wednesdays. There's a morning class for women and an evening class for both men and women. Uh, next Sunday, we are having a congregational meeting between services to elect our pastor nominating committee. You have been writing suggestions about who you'd like to see on that pastor nominating committee on these sheets. Today is the last day, by noon today, to submit those. You can put them in the offering plate or give them to an usher, give them to a pastor uh, to suggest people. Tuesday night at session, the session will serve as the nominating committee for the pastor nominating committee. So. We've got probably 50 wonderful people who've all been suggested by you, and our task is to get it down to 11. So pray for us that we make God's choices about which 11 people ought to be on the pastor nominating committee. And then next Sunday, we will bring you that slate of 11 people for you to vote on at the meeting that is in between the services. So if you have questions about that, just ask us after the service. And today we um, notice the, uh, the death of Jack Skinner. Dr. Jack Skinner was a member of our church. He passed away right at the end of August, and we have just found out about that. So, um, Gareth, you have an announcement. So we are glad to welcome Esther Daniel to be in our pulpit today. Esther is the global director of talent acquisition for the International Justice Mission. That means she's a headhunter, right? Yes, 
So she's looking for some head, I mean some people, all right? We're glad to have Esther here. International Justice Mission is a primary group around the world on behalf of Jesus Christ to intervene into trafficking and enslavement of human beings and uh, the misuse and all of the ramifications of systems and criminal justice systems that play into that, that are co-optive and and co-dependent with it. Esther, we're glad to have you here. She flew all the way across the United States just to be with us today. So let's welcome her. Uh, Great. Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for your love that extends around the world. We're grateful that you are a God who listens and who responds to the cries of all who are in need. So today, open our minds and our hearts as we come to worship you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please join me for a call to worship. With what shall we come before the Lord and bow before God who is most high? God God has has told told us, we who who are mortal, what what is good? And what does the Lord require of us? But to to do do justice, and to to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen. Let us stand and worship the living God together. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, sing together.
poor, young, old, slave, free, sinner, saint. We are all God's children. God transforms each of us into the people we are meant to be. Broken, we are made whole. This is the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks Thanks be to God. Scripture reading is from the book of Psalms. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the the wicked persecute the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. Their mouths are filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under their tongues are mischief and iniquity. They sit in ambush in the villages. 
In hiding places, they murder the innocent. Their eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. They lurk in secret like a lion in its covert. They lurk that they may seize the poor. They seize the poor and drag them off in their net. They stoop, they crouch, and the helpless fall by their might. They think in their heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Rise up, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why do the wicked renounce God and say in their hearts, you will not call us to account? But you do see. Indeed, you note trouble and grief, that you may take it into your hands. The helpless commit themselves to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoers. Seek out their wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever, and the nation shall perish from his land. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed, so that those from earth may strike terror no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to, be to God. God. Where the mind is without fear and the head is held high, where knowledge is free, where the world has not been broken up into fragments by narrow domestic walls, where words come out from the depth of truth, where tireless striving stretches its arm towards perfection, where the clear stream of reason has not lost its way into the dreary desert sand of dead habit, where the mind is led forward by thee into ever-widening thought and action, into that heaven of freedom, my father, let my country awake. A poem by Rabindranath Tagore, a well-beloved poet of India. Today is a historic day in the fight to end slavery in our generation. 14,000 churches from around the world, um, from 37 countries, are coming together to celebrate Freedom Sunday. I am thrilled to be celebrating this day with you. I'm Esther Daniel, and I have served with International Justice Mission for 12 years now, of 11 of which I have served in the front lines of our work in South Asia. IJM has programs in 19 field offices located in 11 countries, and we address crimes of forced labor slavery or bonded labor, sex trafficking. In the Philippines, we focus on online sexual exploitation of children, sexual violence against children, intimate partner violence, and police abuse of power. These are the crimes that we tackle around the world. IJM's global team both the regional offices and the field offices, we are set up to do one thing, that is to protect the poor from violence. Our theory of change is that the end of violence requires the end of impunity, and the end of impunity requires functioning criminal justice systems. The criminal justice system consists of police, prosecutors, judges, and social services, and only they can provide protection for the poor. If any part of this pipeline is broken 
or dysfunctional, it is not possible for the world's poorest to receive justice. So how does IGM protect the poor from violence and end impunity of perpetrators? We do this by doing four main things. Number one, we rescue victims. Number two, we are restoring survivors. Number three, we bring criminals to justice and we strengthen local justice systems. And we believe if you do all this for, that the justice system will be transformed and the justice system itself will protect the poor from violence. Today I hope to share with you how God invited me to serve him in this mission, my journey and my encounters with the God of justice. And then through the lens of Mangali and Kumar and their story, I hope to share what life looks like for a slave today. Is restoration even possible? Can local justice systems be transformed? And finally, my desire today is that I will invite you uh, to partner with God and with us in this fight to protect the poor from violence. I was saved at a young age of eight, but it wasn't until 15 that I recognized God's call on my life to serve him. My family and I were at a 10-day prayer retreat and the keynote speaker challenged us. He said, our God is a God who speaks. And so ask him, what is the purpose of your life? I was 15. I said, well, he said that, so let me try it. Um, it was a hot Indian summer sun, and I took a straw mat, and I went under a banyan tree. I put the mat, and I knelt down and prayed and said, God, I need you to speak to me, and I need you to tell me what's the purpose of my life. Um, God spoke to me, and he spoke through Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 20. You are my battle axe and weapon of war. And I was like, well, I didn't share that with anybody. <laughs> I tucked it away and kept it uh, somewhere in my heart. Um, it was some time until God opened a door for me so I could follow his calling in faith and obedience. In 1998, I graduated as an engineer and was working successfully for six years with multinational corporations when God pretty much paused that career path for me. I was at home for eight months, but no doors opened. Then one day a friend of mine who was working in a neighboring uh, city with IJM, she called me. She said, IJM wants to set up an office in Bangalore, the city that I was living in. And she said, they're, they're in the city, they're in a hotel, why don't you go meet them? And I said, well, my dress don't, doesn't match my, you know, my shoes don't match my dress, and I'm not going, and I just put it off. Because <laughs> um, I was just so done going for interviews, and I, I completely forgot what God had spoken to me when I was 15. But, you know, the hound of heaven pursued me. Um, and so I interviewed for the position with the Bangor office. I was waiting to hear from them. Meanwhile, my husband and I had, um, had planned a beach vacation in a small beach town in Mangalore in India. Um, and so we headed down there, and we spent the time just to discern, God, are you really calling me to this work? Um, we finished our vacation, we, we were returning, um, and on our, on our return, our flights were delayed. And, you know, my husband is a, such a sweet man. I, I, I would not have been able to do this work in, in South Asia for 10 years if it was not for him. But if he gets a book, he forgets he's married. And so in the airport, he had his book, and he was lost in it. And I was like, oh, what do I do? And so I was wandering about the airport, and I found this really teeny, weeny, small Christian bookshop. And so I walked in. Um, and as I was wandering, the, looking at all the shelves, right on the top, top shelf, I found a rather large Bible. 
I said, well, let's check it out. And so I reached my hand out, and I was pulling the Bible, when right next to it, a book fell smack on my face. I was like, hmm. And the book was The Good News About Injustice, written by Gary Haugen, the CEO and founder of IJM. This was 12 years ago in a teeny-weeny bookshop in a small beach town at a time when IJM was not even known. I knew it was God's way of confirming his call to come serve him at IJM. I did not know what they were doing then, except that they were a godly Christian organization serving the poor. But I obeyed God, and I joined IJM in 2006 and helped set up the office. Six months later, I was on my first rescue operation. Our team was trying to bring rescue to victims who were slaves in a brick kiln for, for years, some even for 20 years. The owner of this kiln was so powerful, politically, and well-known in his community that the government and the police were greatly reluctant and unwilling to act as per the law. After two failed attempts, we finally rescued the victims. We brought the rescued victims to the city, and we set them up in a hotel for the night. And just as I was leaving, it is about 7 p.m. in the night, um, an elderly, um, an old lady called out to me, and she said, Amma. And in, in Indian languages, Amma means mother. It's an endearing term for someone you look for protection. She said, when you came to rescue us, the owner took my daughter and hid her in his house. My daughter is just eight years old. This was Friday night. The government offices were closed for Saturday and Sunday. My team and I went back on Monday, on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, finally, the magistrate relented. So the magistrate and my team, we went back to the kiln. Once we were there, the kiln owner showed an empty kiln to the, to the magistrate, and he said, no one's here. And this was very early on in our work. The magistrate turned around, he looked at me, and he said, Madam, what must I do? And I hadn't studied my law by then, but it was a Holy Spirit-led moment. It was such a God thing. I looked at him and I said, sir, you have the authority. You're a man in authority. I am a civilian. Do what you can in your authority to find Mangali. And he turned around, he looked at the owner, and he said, if you don't tell me where Mangali is, I will arrest you. This same once powerful and proud owner, he got on a bike and took us down winding streets, mud streets, for two hours to another brick kiln where we found eight-year-old Mangali, all alone with strangers. We advocated for Mangali, and the government issued a document certifying that she was a slave and that she is now protected by law and owes the owner no money. This was my first case. I understood what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And so I stayed with IJM. In these 11 years of conducting 75 rescue operations and rescuing more than 2,000 from slavery, I encountered story after story of men, women, and children, human beings created in the image of God, abused, their dignity stolen, worse, their right to life, liberty, and the fruit of their labor completely taken from them. I was often dismayed, perplexed, and angered by the kind of violence I encountered in this work. 
women who were unsafe abused, men with deeply scarred backs and hands, men who were unable to protect their wives or provide for their own, children who should have been playing or going to school with calloused hands. And I wondered, what was God's answer to the problem of suffering and oppression? I'm sure you asked the same questions. Amid a world of injustice, violence, oppression, and abuse, what does God's word tell us about his character? How does God view violence against the poor? In my long haul of obedience, God grounded me on these simple truths revealed in scripture about his character. Number one, God loves justice and he hates injustice. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 6, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. Psalms 89 verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of my throne. To say that God is a God of justice is to say that he cares about the right exercise of power and authority. When power is exercised in a way that violates that standard, we call it injustice. Number two, God has compassion for those who suffer injustice. Compassion comes from two Latin words, passio, which means to suffer, and come, which, which means to, to be with. To say that God has compassion for victims of injustice is to say that he actually suffers with them. At the root of God's compassion is the fact that he sees, he witnesses, he directly observes the suffering of the abused. No one else in history can understand this better than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who in Isaiah 53 verse 3 is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Number three, God judges and condemns those who perpetrate injustice. In Proverbs chapter 14 verse 31 it says, whoever oppresses a poor man taunts his maker. God's severe judgment flows out of his love for the victims of injustice and from the simple fact that injustice is sin. God calls out violence against the poor in scripture and he calls it sin, the sin of violence. God is holy and he cannot and will not compromise or accommodate what he calls sin. Number four, God seeks active rescue for the victims of injustice and violence. We are his plan. When governments and those in power fail to protect their poor, God looks to his people, his church, to be his voice of judgment and his hand of rescue. Isaiah 58 verse 6, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? God looks to us, his people, to be the prophets to the rulers of the nations so they will deliver on their God-ordained mandate to govern well and protect the poor from violence. We see this throughout scripture, how God sends his people, his prophets, to hold those in authority accountable. God loves justice. He hates injustice. He has compassion for those who suffer injustice. God judges and condemns those who perpetrate injustice, and God seeks active rescue for those who are suffering violence. So how does IGM work with local justice systems to protect the poor from violence? I hope to explain this to you through Kumar's story. Tragedy struck, struck when Kumar was just five years old. He was living a simple childhood in a small Indian village until his beloved father died suddenly 
and his mother abandoned him. Kumar remembers cheerfully, my father was very affectionate and kind with me. Without a family, he felt as though he had lost everything. Orphaned and alone, Kumar went to live with his uncle, who did his best to care for him. And then, as Kumar was beginning to heal, his life took another tragic turn. A corrupt brick kiln owner used a relative's small debt of 1,000 rupees, $15, to illegally conscript Kumar into slavery at the kiln. The kiln was a massive operation churning out hundreds of clay bricks every day. The slaves, children, women, and men gathered water, sifted sand, molded bricks, and hauled them in and out of the sun for the owner's profit. Kumar was just seven. He, alongside adults at the kiln, bewildered and scared, he continued to work really hard. He carried heavy clay bricks back and forth in the kiln. Children are used in the brick kilns to carry clay bricks and dry them in the sun because your fingers are so nimble and gentle. Every moment was occupied. He woke early each morning to begin laboring at 6.30 in the morning and continued until the evening, till his hands were raw, his body exhausted from the strain of brickwork. Kumar's owner hurled abusive threats at him and all the laborers in the kiln when they were not working hard enough. You know, in most of these facilities that I've gone, all sorts of places, brick kilns, rock quarry, rice mills, incense factories, um, you never find barbed wires. You never find locked doors. The owners use violence, threats of violence, to hold them in slavery. When Kumar was sick, the owner beat him and dragged him to work. Kumar remembers, they tortured me so much. We worked hard. I suffered terribly. He says, I did not even think about freedom. I was afraid to think about my future. I had nothing to look forward to. I felt like I'd lost everything in life, and I wondered why I had to suffer so much. Just in time, IJM discovered the slavery at the kiln and partnered with local authorities and police to rescue 15 slaves from the kiln. With boldness and courage, Kumar and the others continued to speak the truth about their lives in slavery. Government officials documented everything and gave them official release certificates and brought them to a safe location. After two years was stolen from Kumar's childhood, he was finally free. In the early years of my work and our work, it was impossible to move the justice system to act. We became experts at waiting, waiting for the government to do their duty as per the law, waiting for the police officers to file complaints. We would wait outside police stations late into the night till they finally paid attention to us. Sometimes opposition came in the form of mobs or violence. In one of our cases, my team and I were surrounded by a mob of 200 plus angry men, angry because we had come to stand in the gap and advocate for the victims of bonded labor slavery in their brick kiln. They used matchsticks, gasoline cans, slashed our tires, kicked our drivers, but God kept us. In these 10, 11 years, one of my favorite prayers was, was that of Amos the prophet. He says, oh, that justice would roll down like mighty waters. I experienced God himself preoccupied with bringing justice for the poor. All he needed from us was to show up, trust him to work, and, and serve persistently and humbly. To be a prophet to the powers that are so they will protect their poor from violence. 
Each time I witnessed the God who says, now I will arise and I will place the poor in the security they long for. I watched him rise and work on behalf of the poor. The following day after Kumar's rescue, IGM staff began to compile evidence to pursue the prosecution of the slave owner. Our aftercare team brought Kumar back to his native village where he began a new life. He was enrolled in the school there and he quickly began to make up for lost time. After finishing his schooling, Kumar came to work with us for four years as a mentee. That, is, that experience inspired him to become a social worker. While we were working on individual cases all these years, God started to move something, started, started doing something really huge in India. In 2012, a generous donation from a large multinational company opened up opportunities for IGM to partner with like-minded organizations all across the country. Thousands were being rescued. The government and police departments sought IJM from their ex for their expertise and credibility. We were invited to train their officers to create resources to help them implement the law and to create policies that protected the poor from violence. Today, over 20,000 police officers in India alone are trained on issues of law and protection of the poor. Communities around the country are being transformed and protected. Release bonded laborers have created their own association that intervenes in cases of slavery and helps rescued victims reintegrate into society. During his summer breaks, Kumar would come um, and visit us at IJM. And sometimes he would go with us on rescue operations. I was often so thrilled to see him sit with those who were being rescued that, that day and, and encourage them. He would say, there is more hope after this. Look at me, I was once a slave and now I am free. His presence brought great joy to the victims and encouraged them to speak boldly, which is very critical on the day of rescue operation. Kumar went on to finish his bachelor's in commerce. Two months ago, my colleagues updated me, uh, gave me news from India, that Kumar has enrolled into one of India's prestigious universities, it's called the Madras Christian College, to study his master's in social work. Kumar reflects thoughtfully. He said, my father always showed love and kindness to me. I think he would feel very proud to see where I have, where, how, how far I have come and how I have grown into a very helpful person. The rescued now becoming a rescuer. The rescued now becoming a prophet to his nation's rulers. Kumar is one among 40 million people today held in slavery. According to a report of the United Nations, 4 billion people are estimated to live outside the protection of law. If organizations like IJM were not there to advocate or bridge the gap, the victims of slavery would almost never ever be heard. God gave his only begotten son, his precious beloved son, that we may be rescued. Rescued from our sin, rescued from ourselves. Rescued so that we, with his help, can become the rescuers for those who are today in slavery. Are you willing to be this rescuer? The problem of slavery is dark. It can be daunting and overwhelming but Jesus invites you today, you the rescued, now to bring rescue.
All it took for Jesus to feed 5,000 was two loaves and five fish and a little boy willing to give up his lunch. And look what Jesus did with it. Are you willing to come partner with us in this work to end slavery? At $24 a month, you can sign up to be a freedom partner. When you sign up to be a freedom partner, you make it possible for my colleagues in the front line to bring urgent rescue. No one needs to live even for another single day like Kumar or Mangali did. I assure you, when you partner with us, my teams around the world will find these slaves, will bring rescue for them, will, will bring restoration and hope, and be prophets that hold their rulers accountable to what they are supposed to do as for their God-ordained mandate. Will you partner with us? If God is inviting you to do so, I invite you to meet my friends and colleagues um, at, at, the, at the table in the church patio. I will meet with you and greet with each of you as you leave today. Um, together, it is my desire and hope to see that we will end slavery in our lifetime. Thank you. God, as we have heard your invitation, your call to become partners in the intervention of abuse and slavery around the world, help us to prayerfully consider how you are calling us to participate. Give us hearts of compassion for the children the boys, the girls, the young women, the women who are enslaved and in control by people who would hurt them and kill them. We ask that you would intervene and send your intervention partners around the world as you have and we've heard today. Help us in our own lives to realize when we have participated inadvertently and intentionally in systemic abuse of power. And so we pray for our leaders of our country and leaders of the world that they would not enter into these patterns. We pray for the justice systems that we participate in that we would gain a deeper sense of what is just and right. Oh Lord, we are concerned for what you are concerned, for your love for humanity. Give us a deep love for humanity that is hurting. We also pray for those that are hurting in parts of the world because of global warming and floods and storms. We ask that you would help us to become a world of better balance in terms of the value of your creation and passing the goodness of your creation to coming generations. O oh Lord, may your love and mercy not only surround us, but empower us to become the kinds of people that partner for justice around the world. And so we pray the prayer that you taught us regarding your kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to stand with me as we affirm our faith articulated in the confession, the most recent confession of our denomination, the Confession of Belhar. We believe that God has entrusted the church with the message of reconciliation in and through Jesus, and that God is revealed as one who wishes to bring about justice and true peace among people. We believe that God, in a world full of injustice and enmity, is in a special way the God of the destitute, the poor and the wrong, and the church must therefore stand by people in any form of suffering and need. We believe that the church must witness against and strive against any form of injustice so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. Please be Your mission leadership wants to encourage you that this congregation wants to stand with the International Justice Mission in helping intervene in this kind of slavery and oppression. We want to be a church that takes justice seriously, and you are invited to consider participating in it as you talk to people out on the patio. May the God of justice and compassion lead us to be a people who are willing to sacrifice for that purpose. Amen.
may your justice roll down among us that we would be people of compassion that we like you would be with those who are suffering and in pain and oppressed those that are held in impossible circumstances because of the misuse of power help us to be people of justice to use our power as servants of christ to use our wealth to serve you and to serve the people that you love through Christ we pray. Amen. Our closing song is God of Justice. And it's a perfect song to end this with. We're just going to sing the chorus. I know you may have noticed that my voice sounds a little funny this morning. I've got a bit of laryngitis, but I was glad to be able to sing Amos, Justice Will Roll Down. Those are my two pieces of bread and my two pieces of fish. So church... We're going to sing this song together. We must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, stepping forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action. And I don't have any of these notes today uh, in this part of my register, so it's, it's, it's us together. Let's sing this song.
service ends, if you would like someone to pray with you or for you, there'll be some prayer ministers right over here by the baptismal font, and they would love to pray for you. May the Spirit of the Lord God be upon you. May the Lord anoint you to bring good news to the poor. May he send you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. <laughs>